Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I've been sharing my story of the three-year trial I went through starting in 2004, shortly after my father passed away. I didn't know how to grieve, so I just kind of stuffed it. I pretty much had a nervous breakdown. The doctor had given me some prescribed medicine, benzodiazepines, which are highly addicting, and I became dependent on them. And so I ended up in rehab. Now I can laugh about that, and we're going to start a TV series called Pastors in Rehab. I kind of share my story to connect with Job, although my story is nothing like Job to that extreme. But we all suffer. We all have things that we go through. Upon exiting rehab, I recruited a sponsor and began attending 12-step meetings. And that was a very humbling experience, to say the least. My first recovery meeting was on a Saturday morning at a church in Costa Mesa. It was an all-men's meeting, and there were about 100 men Attending, and I felt very out of place until I heard the men share. And one after the other, the stories of struggles, suffering, turmoil, but they always ended with this attitude of gratefulness. But they cussed a lot, so my virgin ears couldn't take it. No, I'm just joking. That's what made it real. In fact, if I were to describe the atmosphere in that room, I'd call it humble rawness. And I began crying as I heard these men and admit things that I had never admitted. Things like, I realized I couldn't do life alone, or I was never able to appreciate what I had, or I would never admit that I had a problem. One guy shared a story of living under a freeway bridge in a cardboard box for months. I thought to myself, wow, I thought I had it bad. See, that's the power of recovery. And may I say, that because of the world in which we live and the sin that overpowers each of us, would you agree with me that we all need some type of recovery? And that's what Jesus did. He came to save and recover what was lost. We all have problems. Some of us just don't know what they are yet. And today, we find Job sitting in the dirt, grieving the loss of his business, grieving the loss of his family, grieving the loss of his health, And the only person he had left, his wife, was hurting so bad herself that she was not able to be there for him. Which, by the way, it's usually the spouse, the person who got hit by a spiritual freight train that has a harder time recovering. And it's definitely the family of those who make unhealthy decisions that suffer the most. But Job didn't do anything wrong. And we have to get this. Job suffered loss because God providentially permitted it. And although Job's fortunes will be restored later in life, he doesn't know that yet. So he's alone, he's depressed, and he's hopeless. And that's when his friends enter the scene. So today, finding hope and suffering, are these the best you could do, Lord? But we can learn a lot from Job's friends. So let's go through this. First thing we learn is sometimes a sufferer doesn't need advice. Sometimes a sufferer doesn't need advice. For many... The first reaction is to try and help someone by giving them advice, right? Here, read this, or what you really need to do is this, or don't worry about it, this too shall pass. 
and the proverbial, here's a word from God for you. Now, I must say, a word from God is exactly what I needed. And there was a woman in my church who would come along every Sunday and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. And during that trial, that three-year trial, she really helped me by her word get through it. This is important. It's the way she delivered the word. She delivered it with humility, love, and concern. Not condemnation, not retribution. So when delivering a word of hope, deliver it with love. Because you know what Paul said? If you don't deliver it with love, what does it sound like? A clanging cymbal. So Job's friends came with the right attitude at first. We find that in Job chapter 2. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. So in Job's friend's case, they probably should have never opened their mouths. Number two, sometimes suffering doesn't equal retribution. Retribution, what's that? Retribution principle is this, the righteous will prosper, the wicked will suffer. During Job's time, and even today, there's a spiritual principle that if something is wrong in your life, it's because you did something wrong. They'll say, you're suffering because of your sin, or if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be suffering. Now, to some degree, the first one might be right. Maybe you did make a decision that has caused you to suffer the consequence. But why blame God for that? If I smoke six packs of cigarettes a day for 20 years, whose fault is it that I got cancer? If I have an affair, whose fault is it that I'm now going through a divorce? But here's the good news. Rather than the retribution principle, which blames you, we should employ the redemption principle, which gives praise to God for redeeming all our screw-ups. I mean, think about it. If a plane falls from the sky and crashes, many people blame God. But do they thank God for the 10,000 planes that didn't fall from the sky? So Job doesn't blame God for his suffering. Rather, he praises God for his redemption when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job was a man that lived about 4,000 years ago. He's an Old Testament guy. So when you think about what he said there, that I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth. We know this, right? If you're a New Testament person, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your hope is in that. He will come again, and he will reign on the earth. Job spoke prophetically about Jesus. And that's a powerful thing, especially by a suffering man. Now, surprisingly, the book of Job has at least two passages that have inspired some great hymns, like My Redeemer Lives. You ever heard that one? And Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Here's the thing. The retribution principle, do you know what it does? It denies the grace of God. But it also deny scripture. For instance, we see here in Job that Job's suffering was not due to anything Job did wrong. It was for a higher purpose. We also see this in other places in the Bible, right? So in John chapter 9, I want to go through this a little bit. In John chapter 9, we read of a man who was born blind. And one of the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Now, that's a good question, right? Especially for the people of that day, it was a common belief that if someone had a physical ailment, it was because he or his parents or his grandparents or before that sinned and it was passed down through generations. So they say, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? And this is how Jesus answered. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What? Are you kidding me? Jesus is saying that this man was born blind so that God's glory could be displayed in him. And some people might go, that's kind of bizarre. But here's what I have to say to this. If there's a God, that God is sovereignly in control. He's providentially in control. In fact, the air you breathe is a gift from God. You know, the rain that falls even on the unrighteous is a gift from God. He providentially cares for his creation. He loves you. And he provides for you. So, does he have the right to do what he wants? I would hope so. If I worshipped a God that was not totally sovereignly in control of everything, I would be a little concerned about that. I'd be like, wow, this earth is in peril. Like, what if it shifts one degree to the north? We will singe. I mean, who's holding this all together? I mean, I saw a picture of Mars yesterday that for the first time is so vivid. I'm thinking, it looks like a little rock, and it's huge, but in the vast universe, it's tiny. Like Job, Job's suffering for only the purpose for God to display his glory in Job, and for us, 4,000 years later, to read about Job's story and find hope in suffering. So this person's born blind, and Jesus says, he didn't do anything wrong. It's for God's glory to be displayed in him. I've shared this story before. My father, who had his leg amputated due to diabetes, this was before he passed away, he had a prosthetic leg. But then the gangrene set in again, and he was going to have to have his leg cut above the knee. And he was very upset about that because he would lose his prosthetic leg. So he asked us to pray. And so we're in the hospital praying for my father. And he looked at me. He said, son, pray that God will heal my leg. I believe he can heal my leg. I said, yes, he can do anything. It's up to him, though, when and how. But I believe he can do anything. So we prayed, Lord, please heal my dad's leg. And his leg moved. And he opened his eyes and said, did you touch my leg? And we said, no, Dad, we're just praying that God would heal your leg. And they wheel him down to get surgery to cut off his leg above the knee. And about 15 minutes later, the doctor comes out and says, I don't know how to explain this. That's not the same leg we saw yesterday. This leg is totally healed. Now, why did God do that? I mean, obviously, my father passed away not too long after that, and he's with Jesus. It was to display his glory. He was known as the miracle man for a long time at Hogue. He might still be. Many people in my family came to faith in Christ because of that miracle. Why did God do that miracle? 
To display his glory and so that people would see his glory? Why was this man born blind? So that God would display his glory? Because in a minute we're going to see what happens, right? Look what happens. So Jesus, when he said this, he spit on the ground, made clay out of that, and applied it to the man's eyes, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And he went away and washed and came back seeing. So that's a miracle. It's only one miracle that of many miracles that Jesus did, but it's an interesting miracle, right? Because there's God's part, and there was this man's part. Sometimes God just does it. Like, God blessed my dad. My dad came to faith later in life. I helped lead him to the Lord. I was blessed to be able to lead a lot of my family members to the Lord. Because I was the first one to become a born-again Christian. Like, you're leaving the Catholic faith. You know, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I just know that I was blind, and now I see. You know what I mean? And then I got to share Christ and my brother, and I got to baptize my kids. And I mean, it's a continuous domino effect. But my dad had a little faith. Pray that God would heal my leg, you know? God decided to do that. So here's what I want to say to you today. It's up to God. We're not God, so we don't control those things. But if you don't believe in a God who can do those things, your God's way too small. And the other thing about this guy born blind, every life matters because every life should be allowed to live for the glory of God. Because God displays his glory in and through people, especially in our weakness. So Jesus spits on the ground, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go, and he comes back seeing. So what do we learn from that? Here's some important things. God's ways are not my ways, right? His ways and thoughts are way bigger and higher. So therefore, I do not always understand why something is happening that I don't like or why I am suffering or why someone else is suffering. Number two, God created this world in which we live as very good. There was no suffering. There was no disease. There was no pain. But our ancestors, Adam and Eve, decided to give it all away for a bite of fruit. And we're still experiencing the consequence of their sin. But here's the good news. One day, our Redeemer will stand on the earth. A new world will come. A new heaven or new earth. One without suffering. One without pain. One without sin. And that's why our hope is in the living Christ. Our living hope. He's not dead. He's alive. He will come and he will bring this new world to us. The next thing we learn is that sometimes God heals instantly without our involvement. And other times he asks us to be involved, which is the case of this blind man. So what happened? Jesus made some medicine and put it on his eyes. What do I mean by that? Well, the doctors of that day would do similar things with the dirt and the mud and it would be a medicine. So Jesus was doing a couple of things. He was acknowledging that God created medicine from the things of the earth. No medicine or science is created. It's discovered. Like one day, there were a few scientists who were having a discussion with God, and they told God, God, we don't need you anymore. You know, we can clone people, we can heal people. 
and we can do just about anything you can do. So God listened patiently and put them to the test. He said, okay, how about a contest? You try first. So one of the scientists went to grab some dirt from the ground, and that's when God quickly interrupted and said, hey, get your own dirt. (laughs) Scientists discover what God has already created. The other thing Jesus was doing, he was acknowledging that God does use doctors and medicine. God used medicine for me for a time to get through a very difficult season. It's kind of like a crutch. Sometimes you need medical assistance. That's okay. And after giving the blind man the medicine, what does he tell him to do? Go and wash in a pool called scent. This reminds me that God will sometimes ask us to be involved in our own healing and recovery process. He sent me to recovery meetings. He also sent me to ask for prayer. He sent me to doctors. He sent me to get help. But in the end, it's God who heals. And sometimes people are waiting around for God to heal them, and God is waiting for you to go. He's sending you to the pool to be healed. But you got to go. He's not going to go for you. He might say, you know, You know that church in Mission Viejo on Madero called the Gates? Go there. You know, whatever he's telling you to do. I always say, God's waiting to give you the next step once you do the first step. The first step is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if you don't get to that step, then the next steps ain't going to happen. If you want healing, true healing, spiritual healing, eternal healing, that when you die, you will be with Jesus in heaven, then it begins with faith now. If you haven't done that, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll continue in a minute. But I really want to make sure that you know Christ, because he knows you. He's calling your name. So bow your heads. And if this is your heart, to receive Jesus Christ, the one who heals, And the one who can do miracles like he did in my dad's life, say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to come into my heart, into my life, and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive my sins, Lord. I've blown it so much. Thank you for dying for me in my place to pay the penalty for my sins by your blood. And thank you that you rose from the dead. And I ask you to come into my life so that I can rise with you and be with you and be healed eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, and it's not the prayer, it's the motivation of the heart. If you cried out, the Bible says, whoever cries out to the Lord will be saved. If you cried out to him, the Bible says you're saved and you've received the Holy Spirit in your life. And now your life is new in Christ. You're going to still have problems because we're still here, but you can look forward to a new life like Job, a second life, which is way better than this one. So Job had nowhere to go. So God sent him friends. The conversation between Job and his friends is 33 chapters long. We're not going to go through all that, but I'm going to sum it up. Here's the conversation in a nutshell, but you can go back and read it. 
here's what's going on. So after his friends sit with him and don't say anything, then they start opening their mouth. And basically it goes like this. Job, you must be in sin because of your suffering. And Job responds back and defends his life of integrity and said, I didn't do anything wrong, which causes his friends to accuse him again. Now you're sinning. It's just constant retribution thing, like something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? And by the way, there's a false gospel that's being taught. It's called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel, that if you had enough faith, your life would be way better. That's a false gospel because Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. Job suffers. And Jesus said, because I suffered, you will suffer. This life on this earth, we're in a sinful world. We don't live in heaven yet. When you live in heaven, yes, then it's prosperity. It's like, wow, yeah, everything's together. That's not going to happen here. So don't fall into the trap by blaming yourself or blaming someone else. You don't have enough faith. No, God's grace is what we need. God's grace is sufficient in all circumstances. The conversation, though, revolves around this theological tension. Why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? And ladies and gentlemen, that is the crux of why many people do not want to believe in God. But as you hopefully know, God does things that are beyond our comprehension for His glory. And that does not mean that He's not loving. In fact, it might mean that He's even more loving than we can understand because although, as Jesus tells us, in this world we will suffer, He then says, take courage or take heart because I have overcome this world. If Christ lives in you, by faith in Christ. He came into your life, at whatever point that is, maybe it's today, you, because he is in you, have overcome this world. You might stay here a few more years. Jesus might come back and rapture the church. Look, there's going to come a day, I hope this is my lifetime, I don't know, when everybody who's a believer is going to meet Christ in the air. Okay, now you're going, now this guy's really going off, man. It's in the Bible. And here's the thing I want to say. You either believe the whole Bible or you throw the whole Bible out. There will come a day. It's called the rapture. If that happens when we're alive, hallelujah, we don't experience physical death. But let's say it doesn't. You experience physical death. You die. You're not here, though. You're there. But I have overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world. And here's the other thing. If I only have hope in this world, you will not have the hope to cope. You must have hope in the next world, the next life. And that is why Job says this. After my body has decayed, so he says, my Redeemer lives. After my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. He's talking about the physical resurrection. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. And then he lays into his friends. How dare you go on persecuting me, saying it's my fault? 
You should fear the punishment of God yourself, for your attitude deserves punishment. Then you will know that there is indeed a judgment. So there you have it. Job's had enough. He preaches the gospel, and then he lets his friends have it. Now, we can learn a lot from Job. We can learn how not to act when trying to help a grieving brother or sister in Christ. And one more thing to realize about this theological escapade that's going on. God is ultimately the one who defines who you are. Job's friends saw things from their perspective. To them, Job's suffering meant that Job was guilty of sin and he needed to repent or face punishment. But that's not how God saw him. The beginning of the whole book, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So guess what? Contrary to what you might believe about yourself or what your friends say about you, God sees you the way he sees Job. If you are in Christ, you are righteous and blameless. There's no other way to see it. If Christ lives in me and he's righteous and blameless, and God sees me as dressed in Christ, put on Christ, it says, then he sees me as he sees Christ, his son. And it shouldn't matter how other people see you. Because if you can see yourself the way God sees you, you will turn off the negative tapes that are going off in your mind every second of the day. Do you know what changed my way of thinking? Because when you struggle with depression and anxiety, it really starts up here. The thoughts start going. You know what changed me? I finally decided to repent, which means to stop believing what I thought was true and start believing what God says is true. And I found the verse in 2 Corinthians 10.5, that says, basically, stop thinking and believing your thoughts. Believe God. His thoughts about you are way better. Stop condemning yourself. Believe God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're hearing condemning voices, that's either your flesh bringing up stuff Mother's Day is hard for some people, as Father's Day is, because we don't have perfect parents. I'm not a perfect parent. I regret things I said to my kids, to my wife. I apologize. But God is a perfect parent. God is a perfect father. And by the way, the way that he expresses his glory, his image, his likeness, includes your gender. He made them male and female for the image and the glory of God. I express God a certain way. My wife expresses God another way. And together we express a more manifold witness of God than just me by myself. That's the way God made it. And a lot of people are going around, I don't like myself or I don't like how God made me. And that makes me sad because that's the devil speaking and he's lying to you. You are valuable. God made you. Does he make mistakes? No. Does he allow certain things into our life? Yes. And you know why? Because he wants us to become mature in our faith. And I'll tell you what, when I was in that rehab center and I was walking around lost, like I didn't know what to do. And that nurse came up to me like an angel and said, you need to go in there. And in there was a 12-step meeting. And in there, I looked at the first step. 
We were admitted we were powerless over whatever. My book, Healing Steps, the first step is admit that I have a problem that I can't solve on my own. It all starts with admitting something. Will you please admit that God knows what he's doing? And no matter what anybody says about you or what other people think about you, like Job's friends, God sees you as righteous, as pure. You don't wear that as a prideful thing. You're constantly going, oh, God, I feel terrible. Like I'm like the worst person in the world. Snap out of it. The verse I was thinking of is take every thought captive. Take every thought captive because that thought is not from God. That thought is from somewhere else. And usually it's the one condemning you is the accuser, the Satan accusing you. Don't listen to him. Turn off those voices. Open the word. Read Romans chapter 8 over and over again. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, either God's saying the truth or he's a liar. If he's saying the truth, then everything he says is the truth, right? Jesus said, I'm the truth. And so the last thing is, when giving advice to the sufferer, speak truth with love. Because like I said, if you don't speak the truth with love, it's a clanging symbol. It's condemnation. It's retribution. Now, you should speak the truth. Paul wrote, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That is my heart. That is what I want to do. Someone told me the other day, thank you, Pastor, that every time you preach and teach, you always include the good news, the gospel. You know why? Because I'm tired of bad news. And so are you. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat that sometimes your suffering is allowed by God for his glory. I'm not going to say that it's because of your lack of faith. That's wrong. That's heretical. God does what he wants, whether we want to do it or not. And then we can go humbly and say, Lord, thank you for the 10,000 planes that didn't fall from the sky. Lord, thank you for the diseases that I could have got that I didn't get. Thank you. Like the other day, I was driving my car, and this car almost hit me, but it was because I was praying before it. I was praying before right then, and the car missed me. Thank you, Lord, for your hedge of protection around my life. And Lord, please redeem what was lost. Redeem my family. Redeem my kids. Redeem my ministry. Redeem my job, whatever it is. And then let God do it because otherwise you'll mess it up. Just go and be sent and let God do all hard stuff. Here's the truth. You're not the person you were before. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. You are not condemned by God. You're loved by God. And finally, like Job, the second part of your life, the eternal life that begins the moment you receive Jesus Christ, goes on through eternity, and it's way better than this life. In this world, you will suffer. Take heart, I've overcome the world. As your friend, as your pastor, I exhort you to stop believing the lies and start believing the truth. If you do that, and if you get plugged into a Bible teaching church, and you start receiving the word, and let the word wash over you, you will recover. You will heal. I promise. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that as fallible human being as I am, 
you still choose to use me. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought me such a long way from believing lies that would pop into my head. And then you would tell me, take every thought captive. And it was really hard at first. And then over time, as I practiced like anything else, like I practiced the piano or whatever it is, I practiced that. And now I can catch the lie quicker and I don't fall into depression. Thank you, Lord. I pray over the people in this, this church today. I pray that your healing blood will cover them. Your grace will suffice for them and that you will give them all that they need to prosper in your kingdom and to be sent and serve you. Because like the man said, I was once blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.